Has the existence of religion made the world a better place? Let's be honest. How you answer that question likely has a lot to do with whether or not you consider yourself to be religious. It can be a stunningly complex question, but it is one each of us must answer for ourselves. Increasingly, many are looking at the world around them and seeing vivid examples of what can happen when religious extremism is expressed through violence or seeing religious doctrine as standing in direct opposition to scientific reasoning and impassioned tolerance. Others may look at the laws and regulations of religion as unnecessary, or even damaging archaic restrictions which prevent adherents from living however they see fit. Whatever the reason, it is clear that more and more people believe religion is harming society. According to an Ipsos poll conducted in March of 2017, just over half of Canadian respondents say they believe religion does more harm than good in the world. The 51% who agreed with that statement is up dramatically from the 44% who agreed with the same statement only six years prior. If the number continues to change at such a rapid pace, it won't be long before the slight majority becomes an overwhelming one. On today's edition of Tomorrow's World, we'll take a look at some real-world examples of why many see religion as harmful. We will also ask some difficult questions to examine if religion itself is to blame or if there is another root cause. It's time we ask the most basic of questions regarding belief. Is religion dangerous? Welcome back to Tomorrow's World. I'm glad you've decided to join us as we ask this important question, is religion dangerous? Before delving into this topic, I think it is important to get a sense of how others are answering the question around us. We've seen that more than 50% of Canadians believe religion does more harm than good in the world. In 2017, the Angus Reid Institute released an extensive study on the religious beliefs and practices of Canadians, including their outlook on religion itself. The results were eye-opening. Half of Canadians described feeling uncomfortable around people who are religiously devout. This despite the findings that religiously committed Canadians tend to be the most concerned about others, the happiest, and the most generous. Canadians, it seems, would prefer to surround ourselves with those who criticize religion, a trait which only makes 42% of Canadians uncomfortable. Perhaps most telling is how people feel about the very word religion. Just one in four Canadians, 25% selected the word religion as having a positive meaning to them, while one in three, 33%, said they view the word negatively. When asked about this particular finding, Angus Reid, the Institute's founder and chairman, succinctly captured the gravity of the result. The word religion itself has become a little bit of a four-letter word. One must ask, why has religion become a four-letter word? On an interview for National Geographic, Jerry Coyne, an evolutionary geneticist and author, was asked to support his claim that religion is the most widespread and harmful form of superstition. Here is his response. One of the meanings of superstition in the Oxford English Dictionary is a belief that is unfounded or irrational. Since I see all religious belief as unfounded and irrational, I consider religion to be a superstition. And the damage that religion has done to humanity is far more than the damage that astrology 
or the belief in Bigfoot has done. This is the problem with ISIS and other Islamist organizations. It used to be the problem with Christianity as well. People get killed because they don't share your beliefs. Here Coyne is referring to large-scale, systemic abuses performed in the name of religion. Religious extremism erupting into violence is a clear example. He also refers to Christianity's past, which includes the Inquisition and scores of religious wars. Though we could also look at the Christianity of today to highlight sex abuse scandals and ongoing wars in Africa being fought under the banners of Islam and Christianity. Many are familiar with these examples, and we'll come back to them later in the program. However, Coyne goes on to make a statement that gets to the core of our question today. Clearly religions differ in how harmful they are, and that's proportional to how much they proselytize and how perfidious their beliefs are. There are religions that I would consider harmless, or maybe even beneficial. Quakers barely believe in God at all and are dedicated to social justice. The less a religion has to do with a tangible God, the less it hands out moral dictates, and the better it is. Once you believe in an absolute moral authority that tells you what to do, you're heading down the road to perdition, I think. Is religious belief harmful to society? It seems there is data to support this powerful statement. A 2005 study published in the Journal of Religion and Society examined the societal health of several nations, asking if the religiosity or secularism of those nations was having an impact. The 20th century acted for the first time in human history as a vast Darwinian global societal experiment in which a wide variety of dramatically differing social, religious, political, economic systems competed with one another with varying degrees of success. The study highlights the correlation between secularism and prosperity among nations. The United States is the only prosperous first world nation to retain rates of religiosity otherwise limited to the second and third worlds. The results were not kind to the view that religion serves as a source of morality and thus is necessary for success. In general, higher rates of belief in and worship of a creator correlate with higher rates of homicide, juvenile and early adult mortality, STD infection rates, teen pregnancy, and abortion in the prosperous democracies. Even within the United States, a clear difference exists between states with higher rates of religiosity and those that are more secular. There is evidence that within the U.S., strong disparities in religious belief versus acceptance of evolution are correlated with similarly varying rates of societal dysfunction the strongly theistic anti-evolution South and Midwest have markedly worse homicide, mortality, STD, youth pregnancy, marital and related problems than the Northeast where societal conditions, secularization, and acceptance of evolution approach European norms. Commenting on this study, Emily McGuire of the Sydney Morning Herald came to the following conclusion. When it comes to working for a better society, the religious need to stop sermonizing, get up off their knees, unclasp those praying hands, and work for the measurable change in the here and now. Is there no value in the spiritual effects of religion? Religion covers a wide range of beliefs and doctrines, making it hard to use general statements which hold true for everyone. Since the study singles out the United States as by far the most religious, prosperous nation, and Christianity is the dominant religion within the U.S., Let's examine these statistics in light of Christianity. Even accommodating for the wide range of beliefs held within Christianity, 
It is a fairly safe claim to make that the vast majority of professing Christians would not advocate for the promotion of homicide, youth pregnancies, and other immoral behavior listed in the study. How then do we account for the study's findings? Do we throw them away as illogical? Or is there something about religion that leads not only to systemic abuses and war, but also to an increase in behavior that most religious individuals would deem immoral? I'll be back in a moment and we will explore this seeming discrepancy. But first, I would like to give you an opportunity to order our free booklet, Satan's Counterfeit Christianity. Our contact information will be given in a moment. Be sure to have your address ready and call in to receive your free copy. Don't miss out on this captivating free booklet. We have operators ready to take your call. Simply ask for Satan's Counterfeit Christianity. You can also order online at TWCanada.org. Tens of thousands of churches claim to teach and live by the Christianity described in the Bible. The religious confusion among professing Christians is perhaps Satan's greatest act of deception. You need to know the truth. Don't wait. Dial the number on your screen or visit us online right now. Welcome back. On today's program, we're asking the question, is religion dangerous? More than half of Canadians believe that religion does more harm than good. A study published in the Journal of Religion and Society seems to support this view. I'd like to read one more quote from this fascinating research. No democracy is known to have combined strong religiosity and popular denial of evolution with high rates of societal health. If religion does not lead to healthy societies, then how can it be counted as successful? We've been focusing on religion's impact on quantifiable moral behaviors in society and only briefly mention some of the blatant destruction wrought on the world in the name of religion. Let's look to history before returning to the present. Writing for the New York Times, Gary Gutting describes one of the primary charges brought against religion. A religion charged with bringing God's truth to the world faces the question of how to deal with people who refuse to accept it. To what extent should it tolerate religious error? At certain points in their histories, both Christianity and Islam have been intolerant of other religions, often each other, even to the point of violence. A religion which holds the belief that it is bound to convert the world and that forced conversion will result in a better afterlife than remaining unconverted is capable of unspeakable horrors. In an interview for NPR, Bart Ehrman, author of The Triumph of Christianity, had this to say on the importance of conversion in the early spread of Christianity. There would literally be hell to pay if somebody didn't convert. And so Christians believed that their religion was the only right religion, and that people had to practice their religion or else they would go to hell. Moreover, Christians maintained that they were to follow Jesus' teachings of love. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if your neighbor is going to hell by not believing what you believe, and you love this person, then you need to make them see the error of their ways and convert them to your faith. This line of reasoning seems logical and well-intentioned. However, the question then becomes, what techniques are permissible? Is inflicting short-term pain on someone worth it if it results in saving them from hell? Ehrman goes on to describe a change in tactics regarding conversion. I think early Christianity was always voluntary. People were simply deciding that the Christian God was the one to be worshipped, 
rather than the traditional pagan gods, and for several centuries it went on like that. By the end of the fourth century, we do have some Christian intolerance of other religions that was manifest on the political level. Throughout history, the forced conversion or persecution of non-believers has been justified through the idea of saving their souls. While this is no longer the case in most Western nations, these nations still bear the scars of such atrocities as the persecution of Jews, the Spanish Inquisition, and the Thirty Years' War, a religious conflict which devastated Central Europe. Religion has a lot to answer for, and it would be negligent for us to simply sweep it under the rug as ancient history. We must ask the question, is this truly the religion of the Bible? I'm not here to promote the concept that all ideas about morality, the afterlife, and God are equal. There can only be one truth. But if the Bible is the Word of God and the primary source of Christian doctrine, does it commission the church to convert the world? Let's turn to the Bible and see what it has to say about conversion. In John 6, verse 44, Jesus states, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Christ taught that only God could call someone to conversion. This statement is so important that he more or less repeats it in verse 65 of the same chapter. It is clear that he directed his church to preach the gospel of his coming kingdom. But conversion would only occur when God directed it to occur. No amount of pressure or force exerted by an individual, church, or state can result in true conversion. What of the many holy wars fought throughout the centuries? Many look to scriptures in the Old Testament and believe that their nation should be acting as the ancient Israelites, forcibly removing non-believers from the land. However, they overlook one vital difference between the Old Testament and the New. Now, please don't misunderstand this statement as endorsing the belief that the teachings of the Old Testament are done away with. We'll cover that a little more in depth after the program in our Tomorrow's World Answer segment. While the law is not done away with in the New Testament, God is clearly working with a church and not with a nation. Speaking to Pilate just prior to his crucifixion, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. He could have easily just stated that it was a requirement of God's master plan of salvation that he should sacrifice himself. Such a statement would have been entirely truthful. However, he chose to highlight the fact that his servants would not be fighting in earthly conflicts, and that his kingdom is not on this earth today. Sadly, there has been no shortage of individuals claiming to speak for God who seem to have missed this passage of Scripture. Either willfully trying to use the name of Christ to fulfill their own ambitions, or erroneously seeking to spread Christianity through their own might, the result has been a tarnished reputation for all religion. When we come back, we will examine the moral failings of the religious societies today and reveal a key danger of modern religion comparing the practices we see in religion today with the pages of your Bible. Clearly, religion has become dangerous. Now we are left with the question of, is that what God intended? We're covering a lot of material in a short period of time, and this is a vital subject to anyone who sees the value of true religion in their life. Be sure to take the time to order today's featured booklet, Satan's Counterfeit Christianity. The phone number will be on your screen in a moment. 
This booklet outlines how the true religion of the Bible has been twisted to promote false and dangerous ideas. I'll be back in a moment. This booklet is yours for the asking. Just call the number on the screen and request Satan's Counterfeit Christianity. You can also order online at TWCanada.org. Have you ever asked, why are there so many different churches? Is the Bible really still relevant? Or does it even matter what we believe? We answer these questions and more in Tomorrow's World magazine. The facts of history are inescapable. We could point to much of the good that religion has done throughout history, but we cannot overlook that religion, including some elements of mainstream Christianity, has been used to commit abominable atrocities. We've shown that much of that is due to overlooking the vital instruction Christ gave to his disciples that they were not to spread his word through conquest or coercion, that God alone could call someone to conversion, and that he was calling together a church to spread his word, not a nation. Well, that primarily accounts for the past wounds inflicted by religion. What of the current situation? I'd like to reread a quote from earlier in today's program. In general, higher rates of belief in and worship of a creator correlate with higher rates of homicide, juvenile and early adult mortality, STD infection rates, teen pregnancy, and abortion in the prosperous democracies. Remember, this paradigm was also found to be true regardless if one was comparing nation to nation or state to state. Could anyone look at this statistic and come to any other conclusion than that Christianity has failed to impart morality on an individual and societal level? Just as false ideas can make religion dangerous on a national level, false ideas can also lead to destruction in one's personal life. True Christianity does not have the results displayed in this study. True Christianity finds its moral compass in the life of Jesus Christ who lived a life guided by the principles and laws we find in the Bible without flaw. He lived by the Ten Commandments, which define what it means to express love to others and instructed others to do likewise. And he commanded his disciples to teach this perfect moral law. So why do we see these results today? In part, it is the result of most professing Christian teachers insisting that those Ten Commandments are done away with that they are part of an old law that Christ came to save us from. If you've been deceived in this way, I hope you'll recognize that according to Christ, anyone who tells you that you can get rid of one of these commandments is devaluing all of them. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. Which commandment would you consider the least? If we go by actions, it would seem the churches of this day place the least value on the fourth, the command to remember God's Sabbath and keep it holy. If you have been taught that this commandment has been done away with or altered, please remember the scripture we just read. Does the Bible anywhere give a clear statement about changing the commanded day of worship from the seventh day to the first day of the week? If not, then the fourth commandment is widely violated. During the Olivet Prophecy, Jesus warned that his name would be used to spread a dangerous, false religion. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. 
How many do we see out there today pointing to the person of Christ, but teaching a message contrary to the one he delivered? Early in his ministry, Jesus gave a specific false teaching to be wary of. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Christ is not impressed with miracles, performances, or outward shows of religiousness. He goes on to define the principal fallacy of this false Christianity. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What is lawlessness if not the teaching that God's law is no more? The unfortunate truth is that there is no shortage of professing Christians who are either Christian in name only and don't look to this book as forming the guidelines and framework for their lives, or who are honestly sincere individuals but have been deceived by false teachers into believing that God's laws are nice but not relevant for Christians today. In either case, it becomes easy to see why a growing number of Canadians view religion as a danger. The unfortunate side effect is that true Christianity often gets lumped in with the false. The religion found in the pages of your Bible, the teaching of Jesus Christ and the law of God teach us how to draw closer to and worship the creator of the universe, to properly love and care for those around us, and to make decisions that lead to a happier, healthier, and more abundant life. In his epistle to the Romans, Paul emphasized the importance of God's law. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. He also made it clear that in order to receive the benefits of God's laws, we must put them into practice. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. When the law of God is removed from Christianity, it takes with it the benefits of living according to His way. The Creator of the universe has described for us the ways to live a life that is beneficial to us as well as those around us. Why would we describe His knowledge as outdated, onerous, or irrelevant? Throughout history, men have falsely believed that it was their role to spread Christianity by any means necessary, leading to atrocities whose effects linger to this day. Even today, religious extremism can lead to violence. Christianity is certainly not alone in this regard. Others have hidden behind the cloak of religion and used their authority to strong-arm others into doing their will, or hiding their abuses including deplorable acts performed on children. False ideals of what it means to be a Christian, including the lie that all one must do is believe and that our actions are irrelevant, have led to a moral decay among those professing to be religious. The origins of what most today call Christianity make the mess we see before us much easier to understand. Please be sure to call in and request your free copy of Satan's Counterfeit Christianity. We began this program by asking the question, is religion dangerous? No, the religion described in the Bible truly holds the key to life. Religion is not dangerous. False religion is. Thank you for joining us, and be sure to stay tuned after the program for Tomorrow's World Answers, where we answer your questions straight from the Bible. 
and come back next week as Gerald Weston, Stuart Wachowicz, and I will bring you more information about the world today and its incredible future in tomorrow's world. To learn more about today's topic, visit TWCanada.org. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895 or by writing us at Tomorrow's World, P.O. Box 409, Mississauga, Ontario, L5M0P6. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine revealing God's principles for leading an abundant and happy life while providing insight into current and future events. Welcome to Tomorrow's World Answers, where we answer your questions straight from the Bible. One of the beliefs common in some elements of the Christian world is that Christ did away with his Father's law. Is this idea really supported in Scripture? Some will turn to Matthew 5, verse 18 to support the idea. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. This is used to justify the claim that Christ obeyed the law, hence fulfilling its requirements, so we do not have to. Others will point to Romans 10 verse 4, which states, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The argument has been made that if Christ is the end of the law, then the law has concluded and adherence to it is no longer required. However, the phrase end of the law uses the word telos in Greek, meaning the point of or the result of. In other words, it is saying that Christ's character, his example, is that which resulted from living and thinking in full accordance with the law of God, thus producing righteousness. Far from saying the law is done away, these scriptures demonstrate that one who follows the guide of God's scriptural law, the Ten Commandments, learning to think as God thinks, will be led to righteousness. Jesus' life, as we see from scripture, was to be an example for us to follow, as the Apostle Paul well understood when he wrote, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Notice also the admonition of the Apostle John writing 60 years after the time of Christ's life on earth. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. We are to imitate Christ, including the rules of life he followed. This is what Paul taught when speaking to the Corinthians 24 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. If Jesus taught the law had been abolished, he obviously did not convey that to John or Paul. Therefore, scripture is clear that Jesus did not do away with the law of God, but rather lived it as an example of how we should live. To submit a question for the show, email us at twanswers@tomorrowsworld.org. Be sure to watch us online at twcanada.org or by searching Tomorrow's World Answers on YouTube. Visit TWCanada.org. You can also order by calling us at 1-866-784-7895 or by writing us at Tomorrow's World, P.O. Box 409, 
Mississauga, Ontario, L5M0P6. You will also receive a free subscription to Tomorrow's World magazine, revealing God's principles for leading an abundant and happy life, while providing insight into current and future events. At our website, you can also watch this and many more Tomorrow's World programs. Call 1-866-784-7895. Write or visit us online today. This program is a production of The Living Church of God.